Hi, this is Frank McKenna, the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. And I want to tell you about a fabulous conference that we're hosting on Thursday, the 7th of September, 2023. In association with Sedulo Group, BDP and VSI Executive Education, we'll be hosting a one-day event, Business of Sport, at the home of Lancashire Cricket Club during the international football break in the autumn. The conference will attract up to 200 delegates from sports organisations, private sector companies and public sector agencies from across the country. Our confirmed speakers so far include Gary Neville, the ex-Manchester United and England footballer turned pundit and entrepreneur. Sir Howard Bernstein, former Chief Exec of Manchester City Council, part of the City's Commonwealth Games delivery and legacy team. The Chief Executive of Women in Football, Yvonne Harrison. GB Javelin Champion and Olympic medalist Goldie Sayers, the Chief Exec of FC United, Natalie Atkinson, and the Chair of the Rugby League World Cup, Chris Brindley. Tickets are available now. Go to downtowninbusiness.com. You'll find out all the information in the events section of our website. More speakers to be announced shortly, but it is going to be a fantastic day. That's Thursday, the 7th of September, 2023, Downtown in Business's Business of Sport Conference. So in this latest episode in our Business of Sport series, I was delighted to welcome Sir Howard Bernstein into the Downtown Den. Howard, a long-time friend of Downtown in Business, of course, was one of the key architects uh, to secure the Commonwealth Games for Manchester back in 2002. And of course, since then, that particular area of Manchester, East Manchester, has gone on to not only create a world-class football club, um, but also many community facilities and a regeneration of that part of the city that is probably uh, one of the best uh, regeneration stories around. So Howard spoke to us uh, about that particular experience. Also, uh, not surprisingly, mentions the Champions League and FA Cup finals, which are about to take place. Um, it was only a very quick conversation. Howard is obviously an extremely busy person, despite the fact that he's the former chief executive of Manchester City Council. He now advises many other local authorities on the strategies that they need to take in order to achieve some of the sorts of successes that he managed to achieve in his career as a local authority leader. So it was great to get him in for a quick 20, 25 minute chat. And I'm sure you'll enjoy this latest conversation with Sir Howard Bernstein in the downtown den. Welcome back to the Downtown Den podcast and it's our business of sports series. I'm absolutely delighted to have so Howard Bernstein in with me in the den today. And Howard, uh, as much as he was the uh, architect or certainly one of the key architects of Manchester's regeneration, is also massively interested in sport, particularly his beloved Manchester City. And of course, used as part of the many tools of Manchester's regeneration, the Commonwealth Games to get to the city to where it is now. So, Howard, thanks for coming into the den. Um, so let's start with your love of sport, your love of football. Where did that start? Oh, football. Um, through my dad, really. He was a big football fan, City Not. Uh, so um, that was instilled at a very uh, early age. Uh, and I think 
those of us who had the privilege to work in different places around Europe, Barcelona uh, in particular, uh, you can't help but reach a conclusion, can you, that the more you embrace sport and culture, the more I think that was always going to be a major influence on modern cities and how modern cities are going to adapt their economies to, to meet global challenges. And that has been, I think, one of the key mainstays of Manchester's regeneration story for many, many years. It, it certainly is sort of embedded into the Manchester's thinking, is it? Yeah. Mindset in terms of how important sports and culture are. Um, but everybody sort of talks about the Commonwealth Games as being one of the catalysts to that fabulous success and renaissance the city's enjoyed over the past two, three decades now. But prior to that, there was an Olympic bid that went in. And obviously, you didn't get the Olympic bid. But what was the thinking behind that? Well, there were, there were sort of two or three different uh, Olympic bids, really. Um, some of us were, were attracted to the notion of bidding for the Olympics. Uh, not simply because you, you genuinely thought, certainly in the early period, that, that this was a, a reasonable opportunity for Manchester to secure the nomination, because we didn't. Uh, well, at least I didn't, certainly the first time round. But it was a really interesting experience in terms of how an Olympic bid could become a unifying force for the city. Uh, you know, bringing the public and the private sectors together, the wider community associated with Manchester behind a single vision for the future of the city. And, and, and I think that has been one of the major influences, even today, in the continued growth and comparative success of Manchester. You know, its approach to partnership, its approach to place leadership. Um, I think the second influence which the Olympic bid had, uh, if you recall, the first bid uh, was focused on the lands around the Trafford Centre, not particularly strong in terms of regeneration as, a, as an outcome. Uh, one of the conditions the council rightly imposed on the bid committee the second time round was, look, if we are going to bid, it has to be a sensible bid, a serious bid. It needed to command government support and it needed, I think, to be linked to the regeneration of the eastern part of the city. Uh, and that was what was instrumental in getting government behind it. Uh, on the back of that, building the National Cycling Centre, having the capability to acquire the what is now the Etihad campus, which was the epicentre of a, of a whole range of, of coal and mass production uh, facilities which had long gone uh, from the area other than uh, a sea of dereliction. We were able to re reclaim that site uh, and on the back of a successful Commonwealth Games bid, actually develop the essential framework which now exists today uh, alongside a whole array of, of new cultural and sporting facilities throughout the city. And that East... Manchester's just been totally transformed, hasn't yeah. it, on, on the back of the Commonwealth Games. It's interesting what you're saying, Howard, that you've you've basically, you know, the strategy was always about sport having that positive economic impact. Well, sport is 
is an engine of community uh, empowerment, is, a, is an engine of economic growth. Uh, you know, you went to Barcelona in the late 80s, early 90s, as they were preparing for the Commonwealth Games in 19, uh, the Olympic Games rather, in 1992. And you saw the growth and development of creative industries around sport and, and, and culture. Uh, and I learned a lot from that. Uh, and I think quite a lot of those experiences uh, were, were, became uh, part and parcel of how we've developed uh, the city and overseen uh, a major transformation. Now, it's easy to sit here today and say, well, that was great. And look at the fantastic results that it's born. But I do recall at the time, particularly the Olympic bid, actually, there was a bit of criticism came Manchester's way. It was, oh, who do you think you are bidding for the Olympics? You know, that's London or nowhere else. Yeah. Um, so to have the sort of bottle and the confidence to do that, I think, you know, it's a demonstration of two things, actually, civic leadership, but as you say, you know, a big private sector involvement and support as well. And that's one of the key things, the key ingredients of Manchester's successes. I think that's right, that, that active private sector uh, involvement, their sense of being able to shape what would otherwise be just a city-led or civic-led uh, vision, the ability to engage communities uh, and residents in the way in which that vision is, is shaped and, 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 and executed. It's also a very interesting uh, observation now you can make around the Olympic bid. Um, I think we were one of the first places in the world which posed the question to the IOC. It, it wasn't so much what we can do for the Olympic movement, it's what the Olympic movement should do for different places. Uh, it's probably a... Uh, uh, it, it's probably a, a question that was posed about 20 years earlier than than, than they were ready to receive uh, that message. But nonetheless, it has more resonance now. If you look at the IOC leadership today, they're far more interested in, in the contribution the Olympic movement can make to different places around the world than they ever were uh, 20 years ago or more. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, and the same thing applied around the Commonwealth Games. It would have been unthinkable, wouldn't it, for Birmingham and Glasgow to have been able to host successful games. Uh, but for Manchester in 2002, actually, it would have been unthinkable given Britain's reputation for world sports uh, for, for London to have hosted the 2012 Olympics, but for Manchester's success in 2002. Um, so I think we have made uh, a significant contribution in changing people's perceptions about the UK as a whole, as a centre for sport, and the role, therefore, sport can play in the rejuvenation and transformation of cities. And also, you know, the impact that it's had, as you rightly say, in terms of other cities then having the confidence uh, to go on and deliver and great events. Um but it also had a really positive impact in terms of performance because of the facilities that were developed in Manchester, particularly cycling. the cycling centre that you mentioned. I mean, well, look that, at the great champions that, that yeah. that's produced. If cycling was a was a was a country with 
finish about sixth or seventh in the in the medals table in terms of what they generated themselves. And again, if you look at you know the contribution which cycling and that facility has made to community achievement and empowerment in the wider area alongside the endeavours of other major sporting institutions, including uh, the football club uh, in East Manchester. I think it's quite profound. Uh, what is not always recognised, of course, is that the, uh, the details of the transaction that was agreed uh, with government and Sport England at the time around the transfer of the stadium to Manchester City Football Club was where the rental, uh, as a, you know, the annual rental uh, is captured uh, in a waterfall account, which is then dispersed to support sport uh, and uh, community activities in the East Manchester area. So, you know, that was ridiculed at the time as being uh, not particularly thoughtful, but actually year on year that delivers significant investment into East Manchester to underpin sporting achievement and community action. Yeah, we're reinvesting that cash into the very things that we need to reinvest exactly. in in terms of that community development and exactly. inclusion. And, you know, I'm aware of things like the Diane Medell Foundation, for yeah. example, that was, yeah. a, a, was basically yeah. born out of, out of the Commonwealth Games and other things that, that happened in that area as well. And just in terms of the wider um, benefits and economic impacts, I suppose, of of sports. So we talk about the major event that the Commonwealth Games was. Culture, of course, we have the Manchester International Festival that, ha that happens now and is a major, major uh, event and is always something that people anticipate um, with, with a great deal of enthusiasm. But on a weekly basis, Manchester has this huge economic input now from those two giant football clubs of United and City. And I know it will gladden your heart that City are top of that particular contest at this moment in time. But when you look at other cities, and we're sat in Liverpool now, obviously two Premier League clubs, great. But you've got two Champions League competitors next season. Manchester United, arguably the biggest brand, certainly one of the biggest brands in world football, City catching them up. What's the sort of change that that makes to a city and it's it's economic performance and the marketing of the city huge uh to put it uh very simply um you know if you if there was um a up-to-date uh, economic impact assessment undertaken of you know people who were brought to the city to watch our city all united uh what that means in terms of visitors spend uh, every week, particularly not just European uh, football uh, matches, the the impact will be enormous. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's it's probably the equivalent impact of hosting the Olympic Games in terms of visitor spend every four or five years. Uh, and you know, United are very good at that. Uh, City, as you rightly pointed out, have become very very good at that. Uh, you know, Manchester City was a top FTSE 100 company. Uh, it's certainly been, you know, and it's a, it's a global business, um, which is headquartered in East Manchester, yeah. um, which is quite remarkable, uh, really. 
Uh, and when you look at uh, the impact the Etihad campus has had, the uh, way in which the football club is invested uh, its own money in, in, in elite and community facilities, but the way in which uh, we've been able to leverage other investment streams, whether it's from other private sector organisations like OVG, who are the, the football club's partners in the Etihad campus, uh, the big arena, the co-op live uh, arena. There are other things underway. A major plan application has been submitted and we have to get uh, endorsement of that over the next few months for the next phase of development. You know, there is an opportunity here to create a world-class entertainment district uh, in and around the Etihad campus, um, which which will have few uh, comparators, in my view, anywhere uh, in the world, uh, where we're talking about uh, not just additional millions of visitors, but, you know, thousands and thousands of new jobs. And given the absolute commitment the City Council rightly has around local labour and recruitment, there is a, a huge opportunity here, not only to ramp up the regeneration of East Manchester is a wonderful place where people want to live. And we've done that now, uh, and there's more to do, but more importantly, uh, to continue to build on uh, the excellence of the employment model and creating jobs. Uh, and I think it's that type of approach which will continue to mark not just the football club out from its peers, and its commitment to community action, but also the city in terms of how it continues to reinvent itself and to meet the global challenges ahead. Quite remarkable when you think you couch in those terms that you have where East Manchester is now, because I remember what it was like just 20 years ago. It's absolutely phenomenal, yeah. the, the regeneration that's taking place there. Absolutely incredible. Listen, before I let you go, I want to get the ball out because you mentioned very briefly at the start that your dad got you into Manchester City. And listen, you've had your ups and downs. As an Evertonian, I'm sat here today with a smile on my face, more out of relief than celebration, given what happened at the weekend. You're looking forward, on the other hand, to two cup finals. Um, this will go out the day before, eve of cup final, uh, against United. And then you've got the Champions League in Istanbul as well. Um, but, you know, as a City fan, I talked to lots of Blues who... They sort of look back in fondness to the days at Main Road and then the relegation battles and all that sort of thing. And, and from your face, I'm telling that, you're not quite sharing that experience, really. Yeah, look, Main Road, is. we've all got fond memories of Main Road, but uh, I was, like many others, uh, I actually was very happy to close that chapter uh, in, our, in our lives because it's not exactly brought us sustained success, did it? Uh, and, you know, relocating uh, to the Etihad Stadium as it is now. It was, we went to the City of Manchester Sports Stadium, uh, is how it was described then, uh, in the aftermath of the Commonwealth Games, was, was a fundamental influence on where Manchester City as a football club now is. You know, you can all have a view about how we've been able to attract the level of investment, not just in elite, Football, but also investment in community. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I think. And do you think that's 
There's not any a little by pundits in the commentary well, you, 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 you don't hear a lot of commentators no, say look how great City have done in terms of I think Gary does that yes Gary does that because Gary's a man and Gary actually understands he sees it and understands it but when we sit down and have debates about the quality of ownerships uh, the fit and proper person test for me shouldn't just be about uh, whether or not somebody's um, you know, uh, has business integrity, whether or not somebody's got the access to the resources that are needed to support. It should also increasingly be about well, what they're going to do for place. And, you know, it's not just something that applies to um, uh, premiership football or the top clubs. Uh, it should also be something that applies everywhere. There are some wonderful examples. Brentford is a very good example of how they've embraced community as part of their growth and development. Mark Stott, who, uh, as you know, I'm associated with uh, through Vita, Mark owns uh, Stockport County. What he delivered in terms of new community education uh, facilities uh, and his plans for the future is a, is remarkable. And, and I just think, uh, you know, what Manchester City Football Club in particular has shown is, is is what should be the benchmark which all owners should be striving for in terms of delivering not just investment in football clubs, but also investment in communities. So you're looking forward to Wembley in Istanbul? I know you're going to both games, aren't you? I'll be going to both games. Um, oh, Luke, if somebody would have said to me, you know, 20 years ago, we'll be going for the treble, blah, 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 you know, saying, hmm, uh, it's all in our hands. I think we are, without doubt, the best side uh, in Europe. Uh, I, I'm, what I want to do is is prove that. Uh, so there's always a time we need a bit of luck, uh, and I'm particularly looking forward to playing the enemy on, on Saturday. <laughs> Well, I wish you all the best. Thank but you. Obviously, Gary's a big mate of mine as well. So, so I'm not, not to say too much about the FA Cup final, but certainly hoping City bring the Champions League back. And it's been great speaking to you, Howard. You're very, very much for coming in. Thank you. Cheers. So that was Sir Howard Bernstein. If you want to hear more from the great man, he will be one of our speakers at our Business of Sport conference, which takes place on Thursday, the 7th of September at the Emirates Cricket Stadium, uh, home of Lancashire County Cricket Club, of course. And Sir Howard will be joined by a range of contributors, including Gary Neville, who we mentioned there in the podcast, Yvonne Harrison, who is the uh, Chief Executive of Women in Football, um, Natalie Atkinson, Chief Executive of FC United, Goldie Sayers, who is uh, an Olympian, uh, many others as well. So if you're looking to get involved in that particular event, then get onto our website, go to the events section and book your tickets today. They are selling fast though, so uh, don't wait too long. So that's the latest from us here at the Downtown Den. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with somebody else talking about the business of sport uh, with our partners, VSI Executive Education and Andy McIntyre. Mm-hmm.